all the time. I think most of you know that have been around for a while. All the time, I love my job. Um, <clears throat> we were coming home Thursday evening from the young adult Bible study, and I just told Karen, I said, don't you love those kids? Of course, we call you kids. We know you're adults, but we call you kids because we're so old. So, because our kids are actually older than most of you. And we just love it, man. We just love being able to, you know, be with you and talk about the Word of God together and grow together and get stretched together and be changed together. We just love doing it. We love the, the men's Bible studies uh, or Bible study, and we love the women's as well, although I never get to go to those. I'm always amazed that I get to preach His Word. That's what I do. That's what I am. That's who I am. I get to preach the Word of God for a living. God sends me money to preach the Word of God. It's the best job in the world. I can't believe He lets me do it. I love it with all my heart and all my soul that that's what I get to do. So I, I love my job, but I don't like to preach this sermon. It occurred to me that I've been here ten years and I've never preached this sermon. And I was really astonished. And uh, I didn't really understand except to say, obviously, the Lord had not put the burden on my heart to preach this sermon until tonight. But I just want to say to you, I wish I didn't have to preach it. <laughs> I wish this sermon were unnecessary. It was hard to research. It was hard to prepare. And it's hard to preach. I've been trying to articulate this feeling I've had all week long as I've been thinking and praying and researching and preparing for this sermon. Uh, there's no one word that touches it. So I, I, I came up with a combination of words. I am full of grief and sadness and heart sickness and disbelief and disgust and loathing and revulsion and indignation and outrage. These are the emotions that I have felt this week as I have prepared the sermon that the Lord has required me to bring tonight in relation to evil. God says to us in Ephesians 5.11, do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead expose them. So the Lord is requiring me as your pastor tonight to dedicate one sermon to exposing arguably and most probably the greatest evil in modern culture. I'm going to begin with one of my favorite quotes. Obviously, it's a John Piper quote. I've shared it with you before, but I think this quote uh, helps us address this issue. John Piper writes, famous preacher in the States, okay? For those of you who don't know. Human life is all about God. I love that. You could stop right there. If you, if you really got that and understood that that's all I'd need to preach, you could go out in the world and be a radical disciple. You can make Jesus famous if you really believe that. Human life's all about God. Do you believe it? You don't have to raise your hand. If you believe that, yeah, you're free. You're free to be a disciple. He continues, That is the meaning of being human. It is our created nature to make much of God. It is our glory to worship the glory of God. When we 
Fulfill this reason for being, we have substance. There is weight and significance to our existence. But when humans forsake their Maker and love other things more, they become like the things they love, small, insignificant, inconsequential, and God-diminishing. I think that, that quote is true. That's what human life is. Which leads me to say, Sex is all about God. Conception is all about God. Pregnancy is all about God. The baby in the womb is all about God. Motherhood is all about God. Fatherhood is all about God. And all of that leads me to say to you tonight that abortion is all about God. It is all about God. As I said, I've been here 10 years and I've never preached on this subject. And the Lord has given me the burden to do it tonight. And let me just interject. If you are a victim of abortion, and there are millions of them, there is forgiveness with Jesus. There is wholeness and healing with Jesus. You may wonder why I say victim. Obviously, the baby is the foremost victim. He or she loses their life. But the woman is also a victim because many of them can never lose their grief and their despair and their guilt and their shame and their depression. If you're a victim of abortion, this church wants to love you. And this church wants to help you if we can. You can talk to, I'm sure you'd probably rather talk to Karen than me. But we're both available if you are a victim of this awful thing. This week I randomly read and watched 30 plus testimonies from post-abortive women. And it didn't matter if it was if it had been 30 days or 30 years. Their grief and their depression and their shame and their self-hatred was inescapable. They sound a lot like this, almost universally. Let me just, this is a young 22-year-old woman. She said, I was 10 weeks pregnant when I aborted. And my life has never been the same. I regretted the abortion before I got it done. I was awake through the procedure and cried while they did it. I have been depressed, feeling guilty and regret every day. Every day I think about my baby, wishing I could bring it back, knowing I can't. I, I've even been having dreams about the baby, and some of them I'm holding the baby, and others I'm still pregnant. I've been trying to move on, but it's like getting, it's like getting worse and worse. On some days it feels like I can't go on. Last night I dreamt, and I woke up crying 
Since I'm having dreams about the baby, it's very hard for me to go to sleep and stay asleep. I feel horrible for what I did, and I don't know how many times I can ask for forgiveness. I can't even forgive myself. If I could, I'd bring my baby back. How does anyone forgive themselves and carry on after something like this? If anyone is reading this and is a believer in the Most High God, please pray for me that I find it in my heart to forgive myself and find a way out of this darkness. Another 22-year-old woman writes, I will never forget the day I had the abortion, the worst day of the rest of my life. I cry myself to sleep every night thinking about my baby. There is nothing worse than the feeling that you killed your child. I'm depressed every day of my life and I am on medication for it. I have often thought of suicide. If you are reading this and thinking about an abortion, please do not do it. Your life will never be the same. I have the rest of my life to think about the fact that I killed my child. I saw one woman giving testimony on YouTube. On the 30th anniversary of her abortion, she woke up in a cold sweat full of self-hatred, guilt, and shame. 30 years, beloved. You know, she said, they tell you that it's just another surgical procedure. But nobody wakes up in 30 years thinking about their appendectomy. Nobody. But she woke up on her 30, 30th anniversary. Another woman on YouTube called her abortion her dark secret and that it had colored every single day of the rest of her life with a pervasive grayness, dullness, and flatness. So beloved, as Christians, you and I, we not only need to speak the truth about the child, we need to love the women. We need to love the women. Because they've been deceived. They've been pulled into something that they didn't fully comprehend. Many of them. Some do. But I'm convinced that most were deceived and pulled into something. Many pressured into something. And they, they, once they come to understand the magnitude of what they've done, beloved, they need healing. They need compassion. And obviously, they need the kind of healing and compassion that Jesus Christ brings. You know, I, I actually saw in my research that some fathers actually suffer as well. Fathers who were complicit or fathers who pressured their girlfriend or their wife possibly into an abortion... And these men have, to a lesser degree, but they also have this post-abortion syndrome. So at the outset, I want to make this clear. And I want you to hear me loud and clear. Women, if you killed your child, men, if you encouraged your girlfriend or wife or facilitated her to kill her child, parents, if you encouraged and facilitated the killing of your grandchild and medical professional, if you performed or assisted in these killings, there is perfect, complete, total forgiveness and healing. And if you're in any of those categories, you can have it tonight. If you don't have it, you can have it tonight. 
Jesus' grace and mercy is ample and sufficient for all of us sinners. Amen? For every sinner sitting in this room, which means everybody, we're all sinners. So, His grace and mercy is sufficient for us because abortion is all about Jesus. Because it's the premeditated destruction of His creative act in the womb. You guys know I quote this text a lot. Colossians 1.16 We were made by Him and for Him. That is His creative act in the womb of the woman. Because it's ultimately an attack on Jesus, you must go to Him for forgiveness, for pardon, for healing and wholeness. Only the blood of Jesus will wash away the blood guiltiness of abortion. If you've been involved in abortion and you've not yet found forgiveness, I say to you on the authority of the Word of God, you can have it tonight. And you can have it through the Lord Jesus Christ. The short and sterile definition of abortion is the removal or induced expulsion of an embryo or fetus. A human embryo simply refers to the child from conception through the second month. A fetus simply refers to the child beyond the third, the third and third month and beyond. One thing you notice in pro-abortion rhetoric is how good they are at masking what's really happening. So they use these vague, innocuous, inoffensive, technical-sounding terms. It's obviously much easier to talk about terminating a pregnancy or aborting a fetus than it is to talk about uh, killing my child. So they use these terms to try to mask the reality of what is happening. Abortion sounds better than infanticide. It's excruciating. I don't know if much if you, any of you guys have ever done the research, if you've done the reading, if you've listened. But the logic, the, the pro-choice, the pro-abortion logic is so tortured. It's excruciating. The rhetoric is excruciating. It assaults a rational mind. Their arguments. It does mine. At least. They are so transparently self-serving and they are devoid of objective reality. But when you boil down all the rhetoric and slogans aside um, regarding abortion on demand, what you have left is the tragic fact that the culture has convinced the mother that she should kill that child. The culture has said, it's okay to kill this child. And oh, by the way, it'll be a lot better. Your life will be much better if you kill this child. For many reasons, as the culture enumerates for us. Beloved, is it not a breathtaking, a breathtakingly awful reality that abortion on demand is driven simply by the mother 
who for whatever reason has become convinced that the best option for her is to kill this child. Now what kind of darkness is that? What kind of blindness is that? What kind of deceit is that? What kind of evil is that? It's perfect evil in my view. Of course, there are forced abortions in some places in the world, most notably in Asia for two heinous reasons, population control and gender selection. It's ironic that abortion is marketed as a female entitlement when at least half of all abortions uh, are slaughtering young women, uh, female children. And of course, in Asia, uh, China and India, most notably, the abortion rate for for girls is much higher because of sex selection abortion. Being female is deemed by some to be a birth defect, apparently. Obviously, and of course, there are some medically necessary abortions to save the life of the mother. But what I'm talking about here are the vast majority of abortions that are simply for the, uh, the sake of convenience. It's simply the woman has come to the conclusion that it's going to be, it's going to make my life better to murder my child. And again, this is a cultural, this is the cultural mantra. It's the beat. It's the drum beat in much of the world these days. The fact that it really simply comes down to the mother's choice as to whether that child will live or that child will die. The schizophrenia of that is clearly seen in a hospital uh, doing interuterine inter surgery on a 22-month-old to save its life in, in one operating room. And in the other operating room, they're, they're going in and they're dismembering and decapitating and murdering the other child. I mean, there's a schizophrenia here, right? but it's just because this mother wants this baby. And this mother, for whatever reason, has decided, I do not want this baby. She's been convinced that she doesn't want the baby. I want to say this. I think I mentioned it earlier. I'm convinced that if women were given all the facts about the barbaric procedures used in abortion and about the debilitating effects of post-abortion syndrome, many would not choose to kill their children. I'm convinced. This is in large part where you and I come in. We need to, to be able to speak and, and, and uh, knowledgeably and we need to be articulate about this issue. We need to be able to, you know, talk about it and, and bring it, you know, bring a biblical worldview. Bring a biblical worldview out into the world and to our friends and acquaintances who might be considering abortion. Back in the States, some years ago, I was very active in the pro-life movement. I spoke to different groups. I traveled all over my home state. I marched in rallies. I picketed abortion clinics. I distributed pamphlets. I confronted clergy at pseudo-Christian churches who were inexplicably pro-choice. Um, I even had the disturbing experience outside an abortion clinic one uh, afternoon. Um, to talk to an abortionist, and he came out of his clinic. And I, that was the only time I've ever felt like I was in the presence of a demon. I'm not saying all abortionists are demon-possessed, but this guy seemed to be, to me, 
as he called me an uncircumcised Philistine, as he screamed at me at the top of his lungs. I've had all the debates on this issue anyone could care to have. I've come to the conclusion that words do not touch the horror of it. Words simply do not get there. But I know this, and I've always said this, if I took a picture of an aborted baby and I put it in front of my four-year-old granddaughter, which I wouldn't do, but if I did that, she would know that that's wrong. You don't have to be a philosopher. You don't have to be a theologian. You don't have to be a doctor. You don't even have to be very bright to know when you see an aborted child, that is wrong. My four-year-old granddaughter would know it. If you ever see a picture, and they're on the internet, if you're ignorant of this subject, in this day and age, it's a chosen ignorance. It's a willful indifference. Beloved, if you're not educated, it's as close as your Google window. You can see the horror of it. You know, John Piper says, there's the sin of abortion, and then there's the sin of indifference toward abortion. And I pray that none of us in this room or anyone who's affiliated with this church would be guilty of indifference to this great evil. As I read in Ephesians 5.11, God says, expose it! Expose the evil! That's, your, that's part of your job! You're a disciple of Christ. When you go out that door, you're salt and light. You're supposed to expose evil. That's one thing that we are called to do. You know, in my experience in the pro-life movement, in many advocates of abortion, they hate the pictures. They, they rail at the obscenity of the pictures. I've seen them do this. They hate the pictures. Of course they do. You can't run from the pictures. The pictures do not equivocate. The pictures communicate perfectly what has been done to the child. A dismembered baby rebuts every philosophical argument. Enough said there. I've sometimes heard people and I think these are willfully ignorant people, defend abortion by saying that it's not specifically mentioned or prohibited in the Bible. Well, it's astonishing, isn't it, how chosen blindness works. It's true the Bible doesn't use the term abortion, embryo, or fetus, but God has a lot to say about what He's doing in the womb. He has a lot to say. And you guys, some of you already know the, I guess the foundational text. It's Psalm 139. David says to God, For you didst form my inward parts. You didst weave me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to Thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. My frame was not hidden from Thee when I was made in secret. Your eyes have seen my unformed substance. Listen to Eugene Peterson's paraphrase of that great text. 
It's in the Message Bible. He says, oh yes, you shaped me uh, first inside and out. You formed me in my mother's womb. I thank You, high God. I am marvelously made. I worship in adoration. What a creation! You know me inside and out. You know every bone in my body. You know exactly how I was made, bit by bit. How I was sculpted from nothing into something. Like an open book, you watched me grow from conception to birth. Beloved, do you see the highest biblical argument against abortion? It's the work of God. Don't you dare strike at the work of God in the womb of a woman. Don't you dare strike at it. It's the image of God. It's the work of Jesus Christ. Beloved, this is the argument. This is where the, the, the Bible-believing Christian stands. Abortion is non-negotiable. It's out of the question. Why? Because my God's at work in the womb. That's my God. He's creating life there. Nobody else can do it. Only He can do it. So I want to reiterate, abortion is all about God. Conception is all about God. Pregnancy is all about God. The baby in the womb is all about God. And don't you let the world indoctrinate you. Yes, yeah, Satan's good at his job. He's the consummate marketer. He's the consummate sloganeering marketer. Beloved, we need to have the mind of God here. We need to have the mind of God Job says it. God's fashioned me in the womb. Job 31.15 Isaiah says it. God formed you in the womb. Isaiah 44.2 Conception and pregnancy are a fearful and wonderful work of God. It's what David is saying. He says, this is a worship-provoking thing. It puts God's genius and power on display. As we talked about Thursday night at Young Adult Bible Study, the power of God is on display. His genius and power is what I want to say to you, beloved. What's going on in the womb has far more to do with God than it has to do with the woman. I know the world can't hear that. The world won't hear that. But you're supposed to be able to hear that. You're supposed to be able to understand that. You're supposed to be able to say that. It has infinitely more to do with God than it has to do with the woman in the Bible is crystal clear. That's a person in there. If you listen to the tortured rhetoric and logic of pro-choice people, pro-abortion people, they make all of these nebulous, subjective arguments about personhood. They're meaningless. They're meaningless. Especially to the Christian. That's God's work. It's God's work. It's sacred work. It's holy work. I've always loved Jeremiah 1.5. I quoted it to that abortionist as he was screaming at me. <laughs> I said, before I was formed in the womb, you know Jeremiah 1.5, the prophet says, before I was formed in the womb, God says, I knew you. Before you were formed in the womb, I knew you. God says, before you were born, I consecrated you to Myself. So try to tell a Bible-believing Christian that that's not a person in 
the womb. The Bible is clear about what's at stake at abortion. Genesis 1.27, God created man in His own image. In the image of God, He created him. Male and female, He created them. I want to say it again. That's the image of God in the womb. That's why Satan is attacking the womb because that is the image of God. He delights in every dead baby and He delights in every depressed woman. He's not only struck a blow against the image of God, He was able to shed innocent blood and He's been able to debilitate a woman for probably the balance of her life apart from the grace of Jesus Christ. You guys know, I'm sure, Exodus 21, it talks about if someone strikes a pregnant woman and causes the child to die, that man is subject to capital punishment. The baby is like, it's no difference in killing the mother. Biblically speaking, from God's perspective, abortion is all about the image of God in the womb. Abortion is a demonic attack on the image of God in the womb. Abortion is killing a baby being weaved by God into the image of God. Abortion is the murder of a baby being made in the image of God. Of course it's demonic. Jesus said He was a murderer from the beginning. And unfortunately, Satan finds many accomplices, both men and women, who are willing to kill their children. According to the World Health Organization, there are 50 million abortions per year worldwide. That's 80% of the population of Italy. Just in the time that we'll be together tonight, about an hour and a half, almost 6,000 children will be murdered through abortion. I'm just going to briefly, very briefly, because I want you to know this, and I hope that the Holy Spirit uses some of the detail I share with you to not only grieve your soul, but to realize we need to speak. We need to be heard. We don't need to be sheepish about this. We don't need to be unclear. The most common methods to kill these children, first, medication abortion, RU486. It's a drug cocktail that denies the child needed progesterone and ultimately causes miscarriage. The second is a suction aspiration. uses a powerful vacuum device that pulls the child apart or if the child is young enough, it sucks the whole child out of the womb and into the container. Dilation and excavation. It uses surgical instruments to enter the womb and piece by piece, dismember the child, decapitate the child, and remove the child. Saline abortion, saline injection. Amniotic fluid is removed and saline is injected, burning and poisoning the child. Some are delivered alive. If you're interested, just ask me for her name. I'll confirm it to you. Gianna uh, Jessen. I listened to her last night give her testimony. She, She survived a saline abortion. She's the most, one of the most powerful speakers I have ever heard in my life. She says, I was hated at conception. And my mother, 
sought to kill me, but miraculously I survived. I shouldn't have survived. I shouldn't be here, but I'm here. And she says, I'm here by the grace of Jesus Christ. And she was just proclaiming the glory of Christ. She says, I've forgiven my mother. I've met my mother. I've forgiven my mother. She says, I was hated when I was conceived, but now I'm a princess of the king. How about that? I loved it. She got me so jazzed. <laughs> it was such a blessing to listen to her last interuterine cranial decompression. Most of you know that this is known as partial birth abortion. What happens is the child's legs, torso, and shoulders are delivered, and while the head is still in the birth canal, the back of the neck is punctured and uh, a vacuum device sucks the brains out. So every day, 137,000 children worldwide suffer these violent and barbaric deaths without anesthetic. It's bad enough that they're murdered the way they're murdered. There is no anesthetic for the unborn. An 11 million Nazi holocaust every three months. Did I use the word evil? Yes. It is evil. Now you know why I don't like preaching the sermon. I don't like having to preach the sermon. But God says, expose the deeds of darkness. So it's time for us to do that at the International Church of Milan. I pray that none of you will be guilty of being indifferent to the crime of abortion that's rampant all over the world. So in the last few remaining minutes, I'm just going to make a couple of miscellaneous biblical points. As I mentioned earlier, abortion not only kills, it's the shedding of innocent blood. And we know it's one of the things that God says He hates in the Proverbs. I think it's Proverbs 6. I hate it, He says. I hate the shedding of innocent blood. There's no blood more innocent than the child in the womb. That's Proverbs 6.17 if you want to know. You may also remember in the Old Testament, the Jews devolved to the point of child sacrifice. Do you remember? In Psalm 106, 37 to 40, the psalmist talks about it. It says, They sacrificed their sons and their daughters to the demons. They shed their innocent blood and the blood of their sons and their daughters, whom they sacrificed to the idols of Canaan. And the land was polluted with the blood. Thus they played the harlot in their deeds. Therefore the anger of the Lord was kindled. You know the rest of the story. The Lord judged them and they were taken into captivity. But what I want to say to you, essentially, modern-day abortion is just the same. And you say, well, moderns, Jim, moderns, they don't sacrifice their children to, to idols. Well, what is an idol? What's the core definition of the idol? It's anything you love, anything you desire, or anything you worship more than Jesus Christ. That is an idol. And what I want to say is that millions of children have been sacrificed to the idol of selfishness, convenience, ease, the idol of boyfriend or husband acceptance, the idol of parental acceptance, the idol of societal acceptance, 
the idol of educational opportunities, career opportunities, financial security, social respectability, etc., etc., etc. I love one of these things more than I love the divine work of God in my womb. I want that more than I want the glory of God in my womb. That's really what's being said. That's why I do liken it to idolatry. Another idol, of course, in our day is the idol of the perfect baby. Increasingly, abortions are done because of some fear of disability defect in the child. If you read Exodus 4.11, God says, Who has made man deaf, dumb, blind, or seeing? Is it not I, the Lord? And of course, in John 9, we... We remember Jesus' sovereign plan for the man born blind. John 9, verse 3, that the works of God might be displayed in Him. And I was reading someone, I think it was Randy Alcorn. He says, ask a disabled person. Ask any disabled person you see. Ask them. He says, I've done this. Ask them if they wish they had been aborted. Ask them. He says the universal answer is of course not. Of course not. I have personally known, I bet some of you have too, I've personally known couples who were pregnant and the doctors had advised them to abort because of some possible malady, deformity, or, or disability. I probably know three couples. The baby was fine. The baby was a perfectly healthy baby in these three instances. Beloved, the ultimate issue with God is not quality of life. Sounds pretty catchy. The issue is that's my image in the womb. You know, I love what... uh, John Piper says, and it's true, God has unseen designs in every disability. There are unseen designs and unseen blessings in every disability. And MacArthur goes on, John MacArthur, another famous preacher in the States, he says, we're all defective. It's only a matter of degree. Amen? It's only a matter of degree. So I pray that we would not fall for that stupidity. The Bible is clear. Every conception is a sovereign act of God Almighty. Therefore, it is to be respected and valued and in the right context, the right sense, revered. Psalm 127.3 says, Behold, children are, the gift, are a gift from God. <laughs> Ruth 4.13 The Lord enabled Ruth to conceive. In many places in the Old Testament, we we see that God opens and closes the womb. Conception is always the act of God in the Bible. It's the act of God every time in Scripture. So obviously, this informs us when it comes to the hard cases of rape and incest. I know the world can't hear this. The world doesn't want to hear this. The world rejects this. The world rails at this. I get that. But as you know, we're not, uh, I'm not overly concerned about what the world has to say. 
and I have absolutely no concerns about being politically correct. The fact that the world rejects our view is certainly not a surprise to any of us who know the Lord. But what I want to say about these hard cases, as Bible-believing Christians, we need to be able to hear and submit to the biblical truth that God is sovereign in every conception period. Rape and incest, is, they are always horrible. But let us be careful that our thinking is framed by the Word of God. Parenthetically, the best statistical information about abortions due to rape and incest are, less, are right at 1% in the U.S. It's right at 1%. In his book entitled Why Pro-Life, it's in the, it's in the cabinet, Randy Alcorn talks about, and he actually gets his information from women, so there's some credibility here that abortion compounds the trauma of rape and incest. Alcorn says, you know, I want to hear from the victim. That's who I want to talk to. I don't want to talk to some pro-choice marketer or sloganeer, sloganeering. Per- I want to talk to the victim. And there was a study done of 192 women who became pregnant through rape and incest. This is what he writes. Nearly all the women interviewed in this admittedly anecdotal survey said they regretted aborting their babies conceived via rape and incest. And many said they would discourage other women who were victims of sexual violence from having an abortion. Moreover, the women who conceived due to rape or incest and carried the baby to term, not one regretted the choice. Beloved, all I'm saying is you can let your thinking be guided by the Word of God or you can let your thinking be guided by the world. It's your decision. You're either going to honor God even when it's hard and impossible and inexplicable. I'm going to honor God. I submit to His authority. Even in this unexplainable hard place, as we talked about last week with Job. So beloved, sex is all about God. Conception is all about God. Pregnancy is all about God. The baby in the womb is all about God. Motherhood is all about God. Fatherhood is all about God. So that leads us to the obvious conclusion that abortion is all about God. God says in Ephesians 5.11, do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead expose them. So what can you do? You can educate yourself if you're not. It's just go to your Google window. Just go to your Google window. I don't know how long it would take you to get to the end of all the information on the internet. True information, not propaganda. True information. Educate yourself. Speak the truth to the glory of God. Speak the truth for the life of the baby. Speak the truth for the sanity of the women. Speak the truth. I've told you many times in here. Out in the world, you may lose the argument. That's not the point. You don't have to be the best debater. You don't have to always, quote unquote, win the argument in the world. What you're here to do, someone tell me. I hope you can tell me. What are you here to do? Just give a witness. Just give a witness. That's the glory of God in the womb of the woman. 
That's His creative act. His personal creative act. It's the image of God in the womb. Beloved, it's not that hard. It's not that hard to know what we need to say out in the world. What else can we do? We can support and volunteer with pro-life ministries. We can befriend and love women who are suffering from post-abortion syndrome. We can adopt a child and save a life. Beloved, our job is to say what God says, not win the argument. And you know what? You might win the argument. You might not only save a baby, you might save a woman, a lifetime of despair. God might use you to do that. If you're willing to know the truth and say the truth. So I want to close by saying, if you are a victim of abortion, if you have aborted your child, there is complete total, absolute forgiveness right here, right now. If this is something that is in your background, if it's your dark secret, you cannot carry this burden alone. You cannot do it. You think you can, but you cannot. You need to confess your sin. You need to come clean. And you can do it here. If you need to, this is a safe place. We will love you here. We will help you heal here. We will not judge you here. You know why I won't judge you? Because I'm a sinner myself. God help me if I should judge another sinner. Right? God help me. So this is a safe place to be. We want to love you and help you if you need it. You are welcome here. Beloved, we are all in desperate need of a Savior. Amen? We are all in desperate need of a Savior. And oh yeah, what I love to preach is we have one. God sent us one. The Father sent the Son. Jesus has come for His bride. <laughs> Hallelujah! We have a Savior. Jesus says, though your sins are scarlet, they will be white as snow. Amen? God removes the stain of every sin, including abortion. Jesus Christ does. John Piper's right. There's the sin of abortion, and then there's the sin of being indifferent to abortion. I pray that this church would not be characterized by that last, by the latter. We would not be indifferent. We'd be an educated people, we'd be an articulate people, we'd be a loving people, a forgiving people. That's who we need to be. That's, that's what the people of God do. Let's pray together. Awesome God. Awesome God, we praise You. We thank You that there's no ambiguity in Your Word. We thank You that we can come to You and hear the truth. Even if it's hard for us to hear, You love us enough to tell us the truth. Thank You, Father, that You've trusted us with the truth. 
I pray that we would be good stewards of it. I pray that we would submit our lives to it. I pray that we would speak it out into the world. I pray that You would use us to save children. I pray that You would use us to save women. Help us be Your people in this regard, Father, we pray. And may Jesus be magnified. For it's in His name that we pray. Amen. We'll just dismiss tonight. Have a great week. If you have any questions, please feel free to contact me. Have a great week. God bless.